0: These are some stories about people who weren't so lucky. It can be so easy to forget how fortunate we are to live in the time that we do. But why do these tears still come at night? For most of history, if I glided around town like I do now, I would be burned at the stake again. As a clearly queerly person who grew up in several small towns in Midwest Indiana, I know what it's like to hear whispers, if they're polite, as I walk by. I'll never forget when I was a child, there was one openly gay man in our small town USA. Anytime I'd be with my uncle and we saw him, he would tell me that that man was a queer and disgusting And gonna burn in hell. You can only imagine my fears as I aged and realized that I myself was a homo. But my grandma taught me to hold my head up high and face anything that blocks my way. My hope is that by being my true self here in every day of my life, that it might help someone who may feel that they wish they could just disappear and no longer exist. Today is nowhere near perfect. But at least I can love whom I want and tell people about it. This was where my mind was when I thought of the topic for our lesson today. I thought about the people who had to love behind closed doors. Even when discussed in their own families, two people in a lifelong relationship were only ever referred to as roommates or good friends. They may have been lost in an image, in a dream, but today, we're here to wake them up. This episode is for them and anyone who had to keep their lives and love hidden from the rest of the world. Hello, my darlings. It is your not-so-evil queen, Joshua Waters, And today, my topic is a little sensitive, at least for me. I will start with the earliest story of just good friends that I came across. Unless someone knows of any cave paintings depicting two cavemen going at it. That I don't know. When I learned of this story, it played in my mind like a beautiful movie. The men were named Numotep and Nyankanamun. They are believed to be ancient Egyptian manicurists and lovers. Actually, no. More than lovers. They were soulmates. The two men were royal manicurists and lived in ancient Egypt. They served under Pharaoh Unas and were respected as individuals as well as husbands. Manicurists, especially for the royals, were in a position of great prestige in ancient Egypt. This is why when the two men died, they were placed in the king's tomb with their bodies intertwined and their faces nose to nose, which was then a tradition that marked the dead as a married couple. This image did bring a tear to my eye. It's one of the only respectable treatments of homosexuals in history that I'm aware of. The men did both take wives and fathered children, but as we know, that was just what was done in history. And sometimes still today, at least based off the married men on Grinder. Don't forget that actually marrying someone for love is a fairly newer tradition. For much of our past, it was seen more as a duty, a tool for power, and sadly for women. It was either marriage sex work, or becoming a nun. A nun. I mean, the name says it, honey. On the tomb, Namun's wife's face is obscured, and Numotep is there instead of her, in the places where the wife would normally appear in the scenes on the walls. Does that mean he was the bottom? The tomb discovered in 1964, and, as you can guess... They were played off as brothers, or even father and son. But of course. Egyptologists believe that Numotep and Nyankunamun's names were strung together in a way that means joined in life and death. Which was what was inscribed over the entrance of the tomb. You may think your partner loves you, but if they aren't having your names carved in stone on the entrance of your shared tomb, do they Really? It wasn't until 30 years after the discovery of the tomb that an Egyptologist named Greg Reeder first became convinced that the men were more than brothers or good friends. Like I said, yes, both men were married to women and had children, but neither family is the focus of the tomb's artwork. The men's mutual bond is what was memorialized. It is possible that their relationship was accepted and even more celebrated. Not only were the two men's bodies joined together in death, but the images of them together on the walls show the scenes of the men embracing, kissing, and even Juan's head on the other's shoulder while they are in bed. Now, I don't judge, but my question is to the man who discovered their tomb and decided that they were just good friends based on those scenes. Sir, what are you and your friends doing, and where do I find friends like that? our next story isn't as romantic as that one was. It's quite sad, honestly. It's about a man who, because of the laws, wasn't able to have anything but good friends for his short life. He was a brilliant and quirky mathematician who played a large part in ending World War II and, even more, invented one of the first versions of the computer. His name was Alan Turing, and sadly, his life was cut short by suicide, brought on by depression and isolation after being chemically castrated for being a homosexual. He saved over 14 million lives, but that wasn't enough to save him from the punishment for being gay. Now, this one got me really emotional. I think so many people can relate to his story, but I promise it does have a posthumous happy ending. Allen was born in London in 1912, and if you've seen the Big Bang Theory, he gives off major Sheldon vibes. He showed signs for a proclivity towards mathematics at a young age. His father was a civil servant, and both of his parents spent the majority of his childhood working in Eastern Asia while Alan attended private school and lived with friends and family during his off time. He lived a reclusive life, probably because his lifestyle was illegal, and it wouldn't be after until his death that his work would be revealed to the world. Well, what was his work? Alan Turing developed the first modern computers, decoding the encryption of German Enigma machines during the Second World War, in detailing a procedure known as the Turing Test, forming the basis for artificial intelligence. He was curious to know if the machines he was creating could be capable of thought. Are you catching on with how history works yet? Of course it couldn't get out that a queer is the reason we have all this technology. At least not until the 10th of September 2009, when the British Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, released a public apology on behalf of the UK government for the way the mathematician, codebreaker, and computer scientist Alan Matheson Turing had been treated in the 1950s. Then, in 2013, he was finally pardoned by the late Queen Elizabeth II for his crime of gross indecency. She also pardoned others who had been sentenced to gross indecency for being a homosexual, which was illegal there until 1967, then on the condition that they were consensual in private in between two men who had attained the age of 21. I actually think that that is a safe stipulation to have. Something a lot of straight people may not realize, because homosexuality was hated throughout most of history, and still today to a strong degree, it is more common than not for many of us to lose our virginity to a predator who is a lot older and then not feel safe enough to tell anyone about it out of fear of hatred or literally being kicked out of our own homes, like so many young people in my community are. I can say from experience that it did not seem wrong to me then at 16, but now that I am the age of the man I was with, 32, I understand that he was a predator. After Allen helped to defeat Hitler and his Nazis, he and his team were all told to burn their work and never tell anyone about it. You never met. You've never been here. You don't know anything. It sounds like a lot of the men I was with in my 20s. When it was discovered that Allen was having sexual intercourse with a 19-year-old man... He was pretty much just left out to dry by the very government he had once worked for and helped win the war. I will not name the man he was with because, frankly, he was trash and a robber. After he was with Allen, he ransacked and robbed his home, which ultimately led to the public outing of Allen and his chemical castration. I do believe that those who prey on people who only seek love are some of the worst kinds of humans. I only hope that young man was able to see the wrong he did And strive to better himself throughout the remainder of his life Now, I grew up around farm animals And when I hear castration My brain goes to thinking about a strong rubber band Wrapped around a pig's testicles until they fall off Just a quick note If someone ever offers you a Rocky Mountain oyster to eat Don't do it, girl They're pig testicles, and they do pop when you bite into them. Chemical castration is hormone therapy, when they replaced the testosterone with estrogen. It stopped Alan from having the then-illegal homosexual urges, or any sexual urges at all. It also caused him to grow breasts, which even furthered his depression. Just imagine your government trying to force you to transition into another sex. It is very common in our world today for someone to use hormone therapy to make their body outside match how they feel inside. I can relate to Alan Turing, as I'm sure many of us can. During his lifetime, all of his accomplishments were overshadowed by something that was private and none of anyone's damn business. After only two years on hormone replacement, Alan had sunken into a depressed, isolated, And lonely man The person who only wanted a man to love And to love him back Had reached his earthly limit On July 7, 1954 Alan Turing took his own life With a cyanide-laced apple He laid to rest for 59 years Until he was finally pardoned for a crime That should have never been in the first place as I said, there was some posthumous good news, even though he will never know. Alan was named the greatest person of the 20th century following a public vote on the BBC. Thank you, Alan Turing, for your work and for your life. And I'm sorry for what you had to go through. Our last story of Just Good Friends is about two doctors who shared a love of pediatrics and each other. They were lucky enough to have had the opportunity to live together, and I had never heard of either of them before I started researching this topic. Their names were Dr. Martha May Elliott and Dr. Ethel Collins Dunham, and they were pioneers in the advancement of women in the medical field. I do have a special place in my heart for all lesbians, I had some in my life who were my protectors in high school and even later in my professional life. Martha and Ethel were protectors as well, but to the most innocent of humans, little babies. (coughs) The couple first met at Bryn Mawr College after Martha went there to pursue a relationship with another woman, but was turned down. Soon after that, Martha and Ethel met and a relationship quickly formed that would last the rest of their lives. They lived together while attaining a higher education, but they wouldn't remain physically together throughout their whole relationship. After graduating from John Hopkins Medical School, they were unable to find a residency at the same hospital. Martha accepted a position in pediatrics at St. Louis Children's Hospital and Ethel accepted one at New Haven Hospital, around a 15-hour drive by today's highways. They didn't let that stop them, though, as both would write frequently to each other. I doubt they had much time to visit, though. A resident doctor, I'm sure, has very little time away from the hospital, especially considering how passionate both women were about their work. This was until an opportunity came knocking, or fate, as Martha May accepted a residency at Yale Hospital She accepted a position as Dr. Martha Elliott Chief resident in Yale's Department of Pediatrics They stayed at Yale for several years together Until their desire to help push them even further In 1939, Dr. Dunham was appointed Chief of Child Development at the Children's Bureau And can you guess who was her assistant chief? That's right, Dr. Elliott these women were just so incredible and brilliant. Dr. Dunham even set the standard for the care of premature babies, and Dr. Elliot contributed to the study of rickets, establishing daily vitamin requirements for children and sunshine to fight the disease. Real quick, for anyone who is like me and thinking, what the hell is a rickets? It's a disease that softens the bones in children. As a child of the 90s, with all the Flintstone vitamins and got milk ads everywhere, I had no chance of getting rickets. Only lactose intolerance. If saving the lives of babies at Yale wasn't enough, Dr. Dunham would go on to work for the World Health Organization, studying premature birth in Geneva, while Dr. Elliot became head of the Children's Bureau. Then, both women moved to Washington, D.C., and still lived together. When they retired, they still remained steadfast in their pursuit of helping babies and their mothers. In 1957, the couple relocated to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where Elliot became the head of the Department of Maternal and Child Health at the Harvard School of Public Health. Dr. Elliot continued her work for the World Health Organization and UNICEF, reporting on medical education in Asia and Africa while also teaching the American Public Health Association, Dr. Elliot was the first woman elected president of the American Public Health Association and awarded Alaska Medal. The American Pediatric Society awarded Dr. Dunham the John Howland Medal. She was also the first woman to receive the award. Dr. Elliot was the second. Dr. Elliott was also awarded the Sedgwick Memorial Medal in 1958 by the American Public Health Association. And in 1964, the APHA commemorated Elliott's legacy by establishing the Martha Mae Elliott Award for outstanding service to maternal and child health. Both women throughout their lives fought tooth and nail to fight for the mistreatment of women, especially in the medical field. They devoted their lives to one another and the well-being of countless children and women who still benefit from them to this day. One of their biggest haters was a senator named James Reed of Missouri, who literally went after the Children's Bureau and how preposterous it was that unmarried women who had no children were the ones running it. A quote from the bigot, he called the Bureau out as a place where The only people capable of caring for babies and mothers of babies are ladies who have never had babies. Can you imagine the level that one would have to be to attack doctors who have made it their life mission to help mothers and babies? And all because they were in love. Ugh, why are these straight male senators so obsessed with us? No, seriously, why do they attack us at every opportunity? Get a hobby. Jealousy, honey. It ain't cute. The doctors remained together for the remainder of their lives. Until Ethel passed away in 1969, and then in 1978, Martha joined her. In their New York Times obituaries, there was no mention of their relationship, but their records, held at the Center for the History of Medicine and Schlesinger Library, shed light into their public and private lives, as well as their dual contributions to the field of maternal and child health. Their entire relationship had been ignored, and the focus was only on their contributions to the field. While that was definitely deserved, can you imagine? Spending your entire adult life cultivating a beautiful relationship with someone, and it gets ignored completely. Sadly, that has been the reality for far too many throughout our past. All of that love shared and all chalked up to only being good friends. To anyone out there who has ever been made to feel less than or that there was something wrong with you, I hope you hear these stories and that they give you the strength to be your most authentic self. If anyone ever tells you that you may be too much, darling, they're just not enough. Live out loud. And if you are lucky enough to find love in this lifetime, hold on to it with everything you have and share it with the world. Maybe then we can finally move away from fear-based oppression and gain enlightenment with love. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go assert my dominance as the queen of my small town. Have the day you deserve and love wholeheartedly for those who were never able to. If you enjoy Rotten to the Core, come follow me on Instagram or even join me on Patreon. Both of those are at It's Rotten to the Core. I love talking with all of you about our lessons, and Instagram is the easiest way to reach out to me. Please, share your own love stories with me there. I will talk at you all later, and remember, be happy, find peace, and Don't hurt others. Have a good August, everybody.